Chapter Six of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six, minor women writers of the Revolution, playwrights and novelists, pamphleteers and journalists. We shall find it convenient to divide the minor women writers of the Revolution into two classes. First, those who contrived to keep the Revolution out of their works, though they moved in Revolution circles second those who found it impossible to avoid dealing with the great convulsion in some if not in all their writings for our purpose here the last class is of course by far the most important and must be dealt with at length but beforehand let us dismiss rather summarily the first class of which we need indeed only mention one representative julie Condeille. she claims attention not only because of her intimate association with many of the women who figure in these pages but because she was a brilliant social personage endowed with many gifts at once musician and novelist playwright and actress and because she was a prominent figure in revolutionary society although she seems never to have taken part in politics we have met her already playing on the piano at madame talma's when marat made his violent intrusion several histories of the revolution describe her as the mistress of vergniaud the most eloquent of the girondist orators but vergniaud's biographer vatel completely destroys this legend he proves from julie's own words and other evidence that she had never even spoken to vergniaud mademoiselle Cadet made her debut as an actress at the early age of fifteen in seventeen eighty two at the opera as iphigenie in gluck's iphigenia inolis though always referred to as mademoiselle Cadet, she was in reality thrice married thus she made good use of that right to divorce which the de goncourts declared was the only advantage women obtained from the revolution the so-called mademoiselle Condet divorced two husbands the second she had met under rather unusual circumstances when she was playing at la comedie francaise an elderly coach-builder of brussels came to paris to break off a match between his son and one of julie's fellow-actresses while soliciting julie's aid in the matter the coach-builder fell in love with his collaboratress and instead of preventing one wedding found himself celebrating two after divorcing the coach-builder julie took to herself a third husband with whom she seems to have contrived to spend the remainder of her days they extended until eighteen thirty four for julie was one of the few people who succeeded in living through the revolution as an actress she made no mark except in a play of her own composition interspersed with songs set to music of her own and entitled catherine ou la belle fermière played at le théâtre de la république in seventeen ninety seven with the authoress in the principal part it took the town by storm the piece was indeed just that blend of sentimentality a la jean jacques and artificiality a la watteau which would delight playgoers of the day the scene is laid in the country where fine ladies and gentlemen mingling with peasants and peasantesses indulge in picnics and other rustic pursuits catherine herself the beautiful fermière is as we might expect a great lady in disguise the wickedness of townsfolk in general and of her husband who at length fell a victim to his sins have driven her to take refuge in the heart of the provinces there catherine plays at the simple life as marie antoinette had done in her amour at versailles in the end her identity is discovered and her love of simplicity rewarded by marriage with a husband who though he shares her taste is of her own station it is a light graceful little play that the authoress herself acted the principal part no doubt contributed to its success for julie Condé was very charming 
so much so that some of her sister authoresses grew jealous of her attractions not long after the performance of la belle fermiere at the theatre de la republique another play by a woman was acted there it was l'entrée de dumouriez à bruxelles by olympe de gouges a wild and incoherent medley with three women soldiers as heroines hissed on the first night it was withdrawn after the second performance the audience refused even to hear it out after repeated interruptions the occupants of the pit jumped on to the stage and began to dance the carmagnole others demanded the name of the author olympe the vainest woman that ever lived had concealed it from fear of having her head turned by the congratulations that she never doubted the play well deserved mademoiselle Candet now came forward on the stage and was about to reveal the secret when she was anticipated by the authoress who from her box quivering with rage cried aloud it is i citizens but if my play seems to you bad it is because it was horribly acted howls and roars of laughter greeted this announcement and followed the discomfited playwright as she fled from the theatre but olympe was not one to suffer in silence a few days later she attacked actors and actresses in print and accused them of having made a veritable pantomime of her work in order to please that monster of perfidious jealousy mademoiselle Candeille louise fusy also an actress seems to have been almost as bitter against julie though she had less cause than olympe in the souvenir to which we have already referred louise acknowledged that julie had a fine figure a glorious complexion that she played divinely on the harp and the piano that she was well educated and witty and successful but she adds among the fairies invited to her christening one had been forgotten une petite fille carabosse who had taken her revenge by endowing the infant with a quality that would nullify all her advantages the quality of affectation which would render her always ridiculous of all those who wrote about julie louise fusy was the only person who made this discovery madame de genlis who devotes several eulogistic pages to her does not mention it though in france to-day mademoiselle Candet has long ceased to be remembered the curious may find several of her works preserved in the bibliothèque nationale among them are two historical novels agnès de france ou le douzième siècle and mathilde reine de france another novel geneviève ou le hameau histoire de huit journées a moral tale lydie ou les mariages manqués a subject on which the authoress must have been an expert an essay on human felicity entitled dictionnaire du bonheur in two volumes and le commissionnaire a prose comedy in two acts in turning over the pages of these volumes i have been unable to discover that they possess any literary merit they are merely interesting on account of their charming and popular authoress now we must turn to those women pamphleteers and journalists who by their pens helped to make the revolution avec des plumes wrote pere duchesne in one of his so-called patriotic letters on a fait danser une gavotte à dame bastille avec des plumes on a ébranlé les trônes des tyrans remué le globe et piqué tous les peuples pour marcher à la liberté more than one epoch-making state document nominally a man's work was in reality a woman's madame roland is known to have revised her husband's political tracts manifestos and dispatches when he was minister of the interior she is said to have written that momentous letter to the king which closed the first girondin ministry in june seventeen ninety two from madame de genlis's prolific brain some say proceeded the speech made by the duke of orleans to the jacobin club afterwards embodied in a letter to the national assembly renouncing all rights to the throne 
the appearance of an immense mass of pamphlets and newspapers representing every shade of opinion faction and party was a striking feature of revolutionary society pamphlets were written by women as well as men the most exuberant of these revolutionary women pamphleteers was a writer we have already mentioned in this chapter olympe de gouges mademoiselle Candet's unsuccessful rival olympe is the queerest and most quixotic of the revolutionary women as we read her life story conflicting emotions stir within us we are moved alternately to admiration and contempt to tears and to laughter for running athwart her whimsies and caprices her arrogance and her vanity are fine strains of heroic courage and maternal pity moreover true frenchwoman as she is despite her vagaries we shall find her now and again urging against the opinions of her party a course which as subsequent events have proved would have been one of true wisdom next to her pity the quality that one most admires in olympe is the independence of her judgment as her exuberance would lead one to expect she was a meridionale born at montauban in seventeen forty eight her real name was marie gouze olympe was her mother's name which her daughter adopted because it sounded majestic though the so-called olympe tried to make out that her descent was noble her father was probably a butcher and there seems no doubt that olympe married a cook one pierre aubry by whom she had at least one child a son he alone can be identified though there are references to another whether her husband died or whether she left him seems uncertain at any rate in the early eighties she was in paris and possessed of a considerable fortune once beautiful numerous passionate experiences had left their mark upon her beauty olympe determined to be conspicuous at all costs and finding she could no longer queen it in the courts of love although so uneducated as barely to be able to write she began to lift her eyes to the heights of parnassus for her obstacles only existed in order to be overcome so to make up for her literary defects she engaged she says ten secretaries they were not too many for her exalted imagination and fluent speech wore out four in a few hours she started with thirty plays in her head only ten of them were ever written and not all of these were printed two at least l'esclavage des nègres and l'heureux naufrage were accepted and the first played at la comédie française when this theatre refused the third play molière chez ninon olympe who liked to fancy herself the ninon of the eighteenth century became furious and with that itching to write démangeaison d'écrire which she says embittered her life she protested in a booklet les comédiens démasqués against treatment which she asserted to be grossly unjust by this time she was well launched on her career of political pamphleteer two at least of her pamphlets appeared in the first year of the revolution they and those that follow them have titles long and long sounding enough to introduce some lengthy treatise one is surprised therefore to find them heading no more than a few pages thus for instance the title of one of the earliest of these writings action héroïque d'une française ou la france sauvée par les femmes would lead one to expect at least the biography of a second joan of arc instead we find no more than four brief pages urging women to sacrifice their jewels in their country's cause and she does not even tell us of one who did so the brevity of these manifestos for they were little more is accounted for by the fact that they were intended to be posted on the hoardings she was also assiduous in sending round her writings to the newspapers accompanied by a letter demanding notice in paying for this publicity as well as for the printing and distribution of her works olympe spent the last remnants of her fortune 
disappointing as they are for the most part it is in these writings that we catch here and there a gleam of what we now recognize to have been political insight thus in the matter of the dispute between the three estates as to voting by head or by order in seventeen eighty nine olympe suggests that each deputy should write down clearly on a piece of paper the instructions he had received on this subject from his constituents that the paper should be placed in a ballot-box and counted and that the method which was advocated by the majority of the papers should be adopted like most early revolutionists olympe's sympathies were at first monarchical she looked to the king to carry out a programme of social reform advocated in her pamphlets and inspired by her keen sympathy with the terrible sufferings of the people by her proposal to solve the problem of unemployment through the establishment of national workshops olympe anticipated the revolutionaries of eighteen forty eight her object she says was to electrify humanity and to this end she sermonized everybody high and low but chiefly high the king the queen the prince de conde the duc d'orleans the national assembly and robespierre olympe like most leading women of the revolution detested robespierre she held him responsible for the second attack on the tuileries and in order to wash off the blood-stains which had covered him ever since she invited him to plunge with her into the seine we would tie balls of lead to our feet and thus cast ourselves together into the flood she added when the princess had emigrated olympe had implored the king to appoint her to follow them and persuade them to return with the woman's procession on october the sixth seventeen eighty nine she had no sympathy whatever it horrified her to see royalty thus led captive the monarchical edifice completed by louis the fourteenth then seemed to her almost sacred fourteen years work she wrote have improved its excellent constitution it is madness to think of changing it and yet they do think of doing so what a time it was not long however before olympe herself became firmly persuaded that nothing could save the state but the destruction of this sacred constitution the king's flight to varennes suddenly made her a republican after the humiliating return of the sovereign and his family to paris olympe protested and quite reasonably against the retention of an institution which had forfeited the nation's respect nevertheless when at length monarchy was abolished and the republic proclaimed when louis had ceased to be king when he stood before the bar of the assembly to answer for his life olympe's passionate pity went out to him then she performed the most quixotic and the most courageous action of her extraordinary career she offered herself as louis's defender and in so doing doomed herself to the scaffold already by her outspoken criticism of many acts of the revolutionary party she had made herself unpopular in clubs and societies especially in the jacobin club now she was regarded as a traitor to the revolution the letter to the convention in which she made her proposal is so characteristic through its inconsequence and contradictions its naivete and queer metaphors its inflated vanity its superb courage and spite of all its strain of common sense that we quote it almost in full citizen president the universe fixes its eyes on the trial of the first and last of french kings i hasten to pass on to the national convention original letters written to me by les sieurs brissac and laporte i add to them five hundred copies of my compte rendu citizen president a great matter occupies me to-day that of my country's honour i offer myself after the courageous mazerbe to be louis's defender let not my sex be an objection 
that heroism and liberty may be possessed by women the revolution has shown by more than one example but i am a frank and loyal republican without blame and without reproach no one doubts it not even those who pretend to call in question my civic virtues i may therefore undertake this case i believe louis guilty as king but once shorn of this forbidden title he ceases to be guilty in the eyes of the republic his ancestors had failed to overflowing the cup of the sufferings of france unhappily the cup broke in his hands and all its fragments rebounded upon his head i may add that had it not been for his court's perversity he might perhaps have been a virtuous king it is enough to recall that he hated the great that he succeeded in obliging them to pay their debts that he alone of all our tyrants kept no courtesans that his morals were primitive he was weak he was deceived he deceived us he deceived himself in brief this is the charge against him citizen president i shall not here produce the reasons that i have to bring forward for his defence i desire only to be permitted by the convention and by louis capet to second an old man of more than fourscore years in a painful function which to me seems to demand all the strength and all the courage of a greener age i should certainly never have entered the list with such a defender had not the cruelty of the sire target as cruel as it was selfish inflamed my heroism and excited my pity i am ready to die now one of my republican plays is about to be acted if at a moment it may be of personal triumph i am deprived of life and if laws continue after my death my name will be blessed and my assassins when their eyes are opened will weep tears over my grave louis capet may suspect my zeal doubtless his infamous courtiers have not failed to paint me as a cannibal thirsting for blood but how grand thus to undeceive an unhappy and defenceless man with the permission of the national convention i will state an opinion which seems to me worthy its close attention is louis the last more dangerous to the republic than his brothers than his son his brothers are still in league with foreign powers and are working for themselves alone louis capet's son is innocent and he will survive his father may not pretenders fill centuries with faction and with strife in history the english occupy a place very different from the romans in the eyes of posterity the english are dishonoured by the execution of charles i the romans are immortalised by the exile of tarquin but true republicans always had nobler maxims than slaves beheading a king does not kill him he lives long after his death he is only really dead when he survives his fall here i conclude in order that the national convention may make those reflections which arise from what i have said we all know that many subsequent historians have adopted olympe's last argument against the execution of a king the convention after having heard this document read passed on without note or comment to the next business but the letter had aroused considerable opposition a crowd of infuriated idlers gathered round the door and as olympe came out boldly into their midst one of them seized her and handled her so roughly that her cap fell off disclosing a bald head who will give twenty-four sous for the head of madame de gouges he cried whereupon olympe with perfect serenity rejoined friend i bid thirty the crowd laughed and olympe's assailant relaxed his hold determined to give her letter as much publicity as possible olympe had had it posted on the walls with the added statement that no true republican would vote for the death of the unhappy offender 
l'infortuné coupable whose greatest crime was to have been born at a time when philosophy was silently laying the foundation of the republic confronted by so incontrovertible an argument the anti-feminist newspaper les révolutions de paris could only exclaim with a sneer what business is it of hers let her knit trousers for our brave sans-culottes with olympe's feminism with her arrest and execution we shall deal in our last chapter le journalisme said the de goncourts using a metaphor which perhaps was less hackneyed in their day than in ours sprang fully armed from the brains of the revolution et sortit tout armé du cerveau de la revolution from the very beginning french newspapers took women into account women contributed to them as we have seen in the case of madame roland several papers intended specially for women were published edited and in some cases printed by women the most widely circulated of these was la véritable amie de la reine ou journal des dames par une société de citoyennes then there was le bulletin of madame de beaumont and l'observateur féminin which was soon succeeded by l'étoile du matin ou les petits mots edited by madame de verte allure an ex-nun there was a paper which recalls one with a similar title to-day les annales but les annales of the revolution was devoted to education and had as a subtitle journal de demoiselles it was edited by a madame mouret who was said to be a descendant of la fontaine the market had its paper la gazette des halles owned by women and printed on la place maubert another woman's paper this one edited by a man was le courrier de l'hymen like the masculine newspaper bouche de fer it invited its readers to air their grievances in its columns women especially were urged to give expression to any complaints they might have against the national assembly or even against their own husbands the paper also served as a matrimonial agency it announced for instance that an american who had the honour to sit in the national assembly or its american equivalent would like to share his fortune with a young citoyenne of paris even if she brought him as her dowry nothing but a good education a charming character and a pleasing countenance although he was a member of the legislative body this american did not require his wife to hold pronounced opinions as to political parties he would prefer her to be neither on the right nor the left but in le juste milieu unfortunately such announcements were too few and as the newspaper depended on them it collapsed after the appearance of forty-five numbers women editors did not confine themselves to women's papers at arras the citoyenne marchaud edited le journal du pas de calais at paris madame robert helped her husband in the editorship of the chief organ of the republican party le mercure national louise de keralio afterwards madame robert was the most eminent and capable of the revolutionary woman journalists born in paris in seventeen fifty eight louise was the daughter of a breton knight le chevalier guinemont de keralio professor at l'école militaire member of the academy of inscriptions and belles lettres and editor of le journal des savants her mother too was a writer and in this literary atmosphere louise at an early age began to earn her living by her pen she translated english books she wrote novels and historical works les crimes des reines de france depuis le commencement de la monarchie à marie antoinette and a history of queen elizabeth of england which it took her some years to complete these books won her the honour of admission to a literary academy that of arras which was presided by none other than maximilien robespierre 
in her reception speech on the study of history mademoiselle de keralliot displayed those oratorical gifts which later were to win her renown in the jacobin and cordelier clubs robespierre in his reply made the newly elected academician his admirer for life by justifying the admission of women into literary societies to that speech of his robespierre was indebted for the support he received later from the mercure national which as we have said louise edited in collaboration with her husband francois robert robert whom louise married in seventeen ninety one was a lawyer of liege the mercure was the organ of the republican party which came into existence in this year and which is said to have been founded in madame robert's salon in paris this young republican was also a frequent visitor in another republican salon that of lucille desmoulins in la rue de l'odéon it was in the year of the robert's marriage that the petition to the constituent assembly for the king's deposition was drawn up and presented for signature to the crowds gathered on the champ de mars for the feast of the federation on july the seventeenth though this petition was in robert's handwriting the staccato direct emphatic style says michelet was much more like that of the lively bretonist madame robert than of her rather heavy flemish husband while most of the other republican leaders absented themselves from the champ de mars on that critical day the roberts were there standing together on the steps of the altar of la patrie collecting signatures to the petition when bailly and lafayette in obedience to the orders of the monarchist national assembly began to fire on the crowd the altar steps were strewn with corpses the roberts narrowly escaped with their lives that evening all the members of the little republican party whether they had been present on the champ de mars or not felt themselves in danger robespierre did not return to his lodging that night but accepted for the first time the hospitality of one duplay a master cabinet-maker in the rue st honore with whom he continued to lodge except for one brief interval for the remainder of his days the roberts too feared to go home but they were less fortunate than robespierre they were not offered they had to crave shelter and it was granted them unwillingly as it transpired later by the rolands who were then as we have seen lodging in the hotel britannique rue guenegaud the rolands not having been present on the champ de mars were not in danger madame roland describes the incident in her memoirs written in prison two years after the event the caustic tone of her narrative and her dislike of the roberts may be explained by the fact that robert had worried roland when he became minister of the interior to give him a place in the government madame roland makes much of the trouble and the danger of entertaining these unwelcome guests she complains that she had to have beds put up in her sitting-room for the two men while she took madame robert into her own room the next morning the roberts were in no hurry to depart and when they did go it was only to return in showy clothes to lunch and afterwards to disport themselves on the balcony making loud remarks on the passers-by from that day until roland became minister his wife accuses her guests of having given no sign of gratitude or of life then by clamouring for some high official post for robert that of ambassador at constantinople was mentioned they rendered themselves a nuisance to the whole government it was unfortunate for the rolands that while they turned a deaf ear to robert's request it was granted by the rolands worst enemy by danton who made robert his secretary he was already a member of the national convention the roberts were probably not in the least heroic they may very likely have been just the type of adventurers with whom the sublime madame roland would have had least sympathy we are not surprised to find therefore that while their hosts of seventeen ninety one perished the roberts succeeded in surviving the revolution 
in eighteen fifteen robert was banished from france he went to brussels presumably taking his wife with him and there when we last hear of him he was carrying on the business of a wine merchant throughout the revolution we find women printing as well as editing and contributing to newspapers one woman at least madame colombe was the owner of a well-known printing press a movement was started to train women as printers the citizen del tufo established a school for women printers in seventeen ninety four after it had been in existence for some time he and his pupils presented a petition to the national convention asking the assembly to give it work and to grant it an annual subsidy to enforce his demands del tufo pleaded that if women became compositors men would be set free to practise the arts of war and agriculture where they were badly needed all he required of his pupils was to know how to read and write the assembly authorized the school to call itself imprimerie des femmes sous les auspices de la convention nationale and sent a citizen called grégoire to inspect the school his report was highly satisfactory and the inspector was told to confer with le comité de salut public the result of the conference does not appear End of chapter six